0: Well, turning your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews 12, we're looking briefly this morning at this passage. If you are going to start of a new year, we're going to look at it, we'll begin, as I said a while ago, we'll begin next week starting 1 Samuel, so we'll be going verse by verse, passage by passage, should be a lot of fun. As we begin a new year, we, we think about uh, the encouragement and The fact that we want to make a difference for Jesus Christ. As believers, we have eternal life. But what about our Christian lives? Think about that. We know that salvation is a gift simply by faith alone. In Christ alone, we're saved and saved forever. And our Christian life begins the moment that you trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. And so we want to live for Christ. We want to seek to live for Him. What can we do? Well, Hebrews chapter 12, basically the first two verses, the writer encourages us to make a difference for Christ. In fact, we find in this passage, the focus is simply Jesus Christ. And let me put it this way, as we seek to run the race of the Christian life, we must keep our focus on jesus christ so this morning as we think about sort of the start of a new year we want to be encouraged or sort of a challenge because we all want to know that when we stand before jesus christ we want to hear him say well done good and faithful servant so we want to have lived in such a way that he gets all the honor and the glory so we're going to look at it this morning as we look just really at these two verses and we can go through it fairly quickly there's some great things there Well, you know, it's hard to do something if you're being distracted. Maybe if you're in your shop and you're trying to build something and something keeps bothering you or something distracts you or you're working on your car, or maybe maybe you're reading a book and every time you start to read, something comes up or somebody calls you or something happens, or maybe you're driving your car and you keep getting a text message and you want to look over there and see what it is, or you keep getting a phone call and so you get distracted. It's hard to do a lot of things when you're distracted. Well, we realize that it's hard to live the Christian life if we're distracted. Think about it. It's so easy for our world to distract us. When you think about it, the pulls of our culture, our culture says, do this, do that, you want this, you want that, this will make you happy, this is what's important. And then even the pull of our flesh, which is the natural bent to sin, the desire to do the things we want and those kind of things, it's so easy to get distracted. How are we going to make a difference for Jesus Christ? Well, when we look at Hebrews 12, the writer to Hebrews tells us that clearly and simply that we must, if we're going to make a difference and to keep from being distracted in a fallen world, we must keep our focus on Jesus Christ. So this morning, we're going to look very briefly at at Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. It's a famous passage. We taught it before because we've taught the book of Hebrews verse by verse, passage by passage. So we've gone through this, but there's a lot of things there. Let me give you the outline. We're going to look at the verse 2 verses. The first part of, the, of, of verse number one deals with the motivation. How, what's the motivation for us to live for Christ? The second thing is, how do we do it? That's the manner. That's also in verse 1. And then in verse 2, he tells us, how do we do this thing? The focus of how do we run this race? How do we do that? So those three things. In fact, I want you to see it. The motivation we're going to find out is other people, those who have gone before us. The manner is, what do we do? And he's going to give us two things to do. And then finally, the focus. And as we know, the focus is Jesus Christ. So let's think about the motivation. Let's think about the motivation. If we want to live for Christ, if we want to make an impact for Christ, what's the motivation? Why should we do it? I want you to, let me just read this first part. It says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, the writer starts off by saying there's all kind of people that are witnesses, those who've gone before us, those kind of things that surround us. And we can look at it this way. We can look at others who have gone before us to be motivated to live for Jesus Christ. In fact, think about it. The, the writer of the Hebrews reminds us of those who've gone before us. In fact, if you notice the passage when, when you look at it, it starts with the word therefore, and therefore is referring back. And most of us know, if you've studied the Bible very much, you know that Hebrews chapter eleven is called the Hall of Fame of Faith. In fact, let me put it this way: it's called the Hall of Fame of Faith chapter because it has all kind of people in there, and it says by faith this person did this, and by faith this person did this, and by faith and saying that these people trusted God and it's a listing of men and women who lived for God, who lived for, uh, some of them looking forward, of course, to the coming Messiah. Some of them were looking forward to the promises that God promised. It has Abel and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Daniel and David and and others And, and we call them the Hall of Fame of Faith. The writer of Hebrews is saying, we've got a cloud of witnesses, those who have come before us who lived for God and our motivation should be that if those people, People can live for God. What can we do? We can live for God. The encouragement for living for Jesus Christ is that those who've gone before us have done it. If they can do it, we can do it. Notice how he describes it. Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. People say that there's two ways to look at that. That they're the witnesses and they're looking down at us to see how we run our lives or how we live our Christian lives or that we're actually looking back up at them and saying they're the ones that made it. They ran by faith. Noah did this and by faith Abraham did this and by faith Isaac did this and by faith Moses did this, and we can look at their lives. And so I think it's actually better to say we have this cloud of witnesses and we look to them, and, 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 we, and we think about it. We, we look to them for encouragement. Think about it, uh, that if they could do it, we could. We, but we look at it and we say, but Abraham was great, and uh, Isaac was great, and David was great, and Daniel was great, and we're not like them. But the truth is this, that they were just like us. We've been doing a study in Sunday school, and Elijah, Elijah was a prophet of God, and we look at him, and we go, wow, but the Bible says, Elijah was a man like us, just like us, and let me tell you, if those people who went before us can live for God and make an impact for for the Lord, we can do the same thing as well, and you know what's amazing is when this was written, of course, the writer of the Hebrews was looking back at what we'd say the Old Testament. But years have passed, 2,000 years have gone. We can look back now to people not only in the Bible who live for Jesus Christ, who live for the Lord, but people that we know, famous people, that people like Jim Elliott and people that we look back and say, "Those, those that, that man or that woman, they, they had a life that was set apart to make an impact for Jesus Christ. And so the truth is, if they can do it, we can do it. And so as we look at this cloud of witnesses that's gone before us, people who live for Christ, We want to do the same thing. And as we look for this year, think about it. When you stand before Jesus, what do you want to hear him say? You want to hear him say, well done, good and what? Faithful servant. There's a, I read something one day that somebody said, "If what if Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of fame of faith, was still being written? Would you be in the chapter Would we be men and women who lived for Jesus Christ? So today, as we start this passage, we want to be encouraged. The motivation is those who've gone before us, those who have lived for Christ, those who have said, I want my life to count for Christ. And we can do that. Every one of us in this room could say this. We can say, listen, I want my life to count for Christ. I want to live for him. I want to go wherever he wants me to go. I want to do whatever he wants me to do. I want my life to count for Christ. So that's the motivation. Then he says, here's the manner. This is how we do it. And, and so he's gonna give us some information. He's just seeing we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us do something. And he actually tells us two things. He says, let's lay aside and let's run with endurance or patience. And so he's saying, basically, let's put aside some things and then let's do a certain thing. So let's start with the the lay aside. Let me read it for you. He says, therefore, we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Let us also, now watch, let us lay aside every encumbrance of the sin which so entangles us. That's the first thing to lay aside. And then let us run with endurance the race set before us. So he gives us those two things, lay aside and run with patience. Let's start with the first one. He says, let's lay aside anything, he basically says, any encumbrance and the sin that does so easily entangle us. The first thing he says is, let's lay aside any encumbrance. The word encumbrance means a weight. It means something that's slowing you down. And he's using the analogy of running a race. So let's say that we're going to go out to run. Let's say any of us, and I don't jog anymore, but let's say that we're going to jog. You wouldn't take two 20-pound weights in each hand and say, I'm going to go jogging. You wouldn't do that because that's that will weight you down. It would be hard to do it. He's saying, as you run the Christian life, lay aside, put anything away that's slowing you down any weights that's slowing you down. Uh, And and that's what what he's talking about. You know, I I coached track for years at Mississippi State, and and when you go to a track meet, well, when you get ready to run, you've taken off everything you can take off. You know, you want it to be as light as possible. I mean, sometimes we'd say, you can't take that off. But anyway, so they would take things off so they could be as light as possible, so they could run as fast as possible. We had had, I coached some guys that actually were in the Olympics, and they were that good. And so shoe companies like Nike, and Puma and Adidas, they would send them shoes all the time, just send them to them because they wanted them to run in their shoes so that when they won things, they had those shoes on. Well, our guys would get those shoes and then we'd weigh them. They would say, this shoe is two ounces lighter than this shoe. I'm going to run in this shoe because they knew that every step. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, we're running the race of the Christian life. The first thing we do is take off anything that's slowing you down. Take off anything that's stopping you from growing into maturity, to being a godly man or a godly woman. And he, that's what he says, and to remove it. Now, let me just say something. The word here is, is a weight. It, it's, it's an encumbrance. It's anything that's slowing you down. And, and it could be something good or something bad. Listen, when you think of something slowing you down, you always think of something bad, but not necessarily. In fact, what if you watch TV 12 hours a day? When are you going to study your Bible? What if you decided to do something? Something? Are you going to work out in, with weights all the time? There's nothing wrong with working out weights. There's nothing wrong with watching TV. Those kind of things. But if you do that, so that you don't have time to do anything else, that you don't have time to grow. I, I have a friend that uh, he get, he says I love Sunday morning because I get up, I get my coffee, I go get the newspaper, and I sit in my den and I read all of the newspaper. And he's not talking about a small newspaper. He's talking about a big newspaper because he lives in a bigger city. It's a big newspaper. And so he doesn't go to church. He says, I don't, I, I would rather just read the paper. Well, there's nothing wrong with reading the paper, but if it takes the place of going to church. I have another friend that, that he has a sporting thing that he does. It's not golf. I just wanted to say that to start off. With. And he does it. And the only time he can do it is on Sundays, is what he said. He said, I really like to go to church, but I really want to do this. And so when we say remove something that's slowing you down, remove something that's stopping you from growing as a Christian and going on a maturity, it doesn't necessarily mean it has to be something bad. It could be something good. It's just taking up too much of your time, or it's just not what you want to be, what you want to do. It may be a TV show. It may be whatever it could be. It, you know, nowadays people, you know, they go to Netflix and they go to things and they say, I'm going to watch all, all five seasons of this, or I'm going to watch all this. And, and, uh, and, and there's nothing wrong with any of those, but it may not help you grow. As a believer. So he says, first of all, lay aside, take off, remove any weight that slows you down, any lay aside any encumbrance that slows you down. I remember at Dallas Seminary Henders used to say, look, our choices are not necessarily bad and good. Our choices are good and best. And there's some things that maybe that are not bad in themselves that we may say, I'm just, you know. I'm just not going to do that anymore because it's taking up too much of my time, and I want to spend time studying the Bible. I want to spend time serving. I want to go, those kind of things. Now, there's a second thing. He says, let us lay aside every encumbrance that's a weight, and then he says, and the sin which so easily entangles us. Now, this is unique because he actually says the sin. The sin. This is not, he didn't say a sin, he says the sin. He's talking about a particular sin that affects a person in some area. And all of us, probably many of us in this room, we'd say, well, you know, there's a certain thing that just gets me all the time, and I'm not growing as a Christian because I keep doing that. He's saying, stop doing it. He's saying, remove it lay aside any weight to slowing you down, and it could be something good, it could be something bad, and the sin which so entangles us. The word, the word entangle there is a unique Greek word. It means to control you. It means to wrap tightly around you. It means to stop you. And he's saying that there are sins in our lives that stop us from growing. And as long as we cling to those, as long as we keep them wrapped around us, We're going to be in trouble. And so he says, here's what you do. He says, get rid of anything that's slowing you down. It could be something good. It could be something bad. And then he also says, and the sin the particular thing in your life that's stopping you. And probably if we talk to us, each one of us individually, we'd probably say, well, there's an area that I always mess up on, or there's an area I do this, and we say things like, I'm not going to do it anymore, and then we do it, and we say, oh, Lord, I don't want to do it again. And we, and we do that all the time. And so it's a sin that, that stops us from growing as a believer. He says remove anything, whether it's some something that's good that's slowing you down, or even something that's bad that's slowing you down. So the first thing is get that out of your life. And so the challenge to all of us in this room is what's slowing you down? And it could be something that's good. Stop doing it. It could be something that's bad. Stop doing it. That's what he's saying. And then he says the second thing, and that is to run with endurance. Run the race with endurance. Notice how he says, and let us run with endurance the race set before us. Now, the Christian life in the Bible is described in a lot of ways. Sometimes in Colossians 2, it's described as a walk, the walk of the Christian life. Ephesians 6, it's a wrestling match. In Ephesians, uh, 2 Timothy, it's soldiers fighting. In First Corinthians, it's uh, the boxer. Uh, in this passage, it's a, it's a distance run. It's a long race. And he says, run the race with endurance. The word means steadfast. It means not stopping. Listen, uh, the Christian life is not a 100-yard dash. It's a marathon. I, I remember coaching one. I, I never liked to go anything beyond 100 meters or 200 meters. I don't like anything longer than that. And you know, But I coached all of them over the years. I remember one year I was coaching some cross-country guys. We, it was in the fall. It was cross-country. And uh, they said, hey, coach, why don't you run with us? We're only going to run two miles. On the golf course. And I went, okay, I'll go with you. Like, that killed me. I mean, I thought to myself, what am I doing? Why?" Because, see, I, I like something short. But uh, the Christian life is not 100, 100 meters. It's a marathon day after day, moment by moment, faithful after faithful, getting up, doing what you're supposed to do, studying the Bible, growing, using your gifts, serving over and over and over. And we all know people that they, they're all on fire. They'll come in and, oh, I, I'm i on fire for Jesus. I'm going to really start living for him. And then about three weeks later, you can't find them anymore because they think the Christian life is something that's real fast and that you just got to do it. It, it. the truth is you do have to do it and it's long-term day after day. Because see, you're going to stand before him one day, and we want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. It's a growth. It's a process of growth. It's endurance. And so he says, lay aside. Get anything out of your life that's, that's slowing you down, whether it's good or bad, and run with endurance. The race set before you. See, he wants us to be faithful. That's the key. Remember 1 Corinthians two. It's required of stewards to be faithful. 1 Corinthians, look how he says it. I run in such a way as not to run aimlessly, I box in such a way as to avoid hitting air. I discipline, I strictly discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I will not be disqualified. He's saying, I'm going to live in such a way that I'm disciplined, that I'm faithful, that I run the race with endurance. That's what we're supposed to do. So how do we do it? How do we do it? We lay aside anything that's stopping us, whether it's good or bad. And we run with endurance, with patience. We keep on going. Now, notice the verse says, and run with endurance the race that is set before us. The word there means the course. And it's talking about the path that God has for you. Now, when when we ran cross country, we'd get there early, and we'd go out to the course, and we as a team would look at the course. We'd actually drive it on a golf course or something. We'd drive the course, and we'd say, okay, when you get here, you got to turn to the left. We all ran the same race when you, when you had a cross country race. But this word course here has the idea of an individual aspect. This is your life. This is what God has for you. He says, move things out of your life. It's slowing you down. Run with endurance. The race God has for you. And every one of us in this room have a different race. God has a plan for our lives and we're working for it and living for Him and making a difference for Jesus Christ. So He says, let's be faithful. Let's run the course that God has for us. And so what have we seen? We've seen the motivation. The motivation is those who've gone before us, those people. If they live for Christ, we can too. We've seen the manner. How do we do it? We remove anything that's slowing us down and we run with endurance. That takes us to the last part and that's the focus. The focus is looking at Jesus. Notice verse two. He says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's what he says. Now, the Greek word for fixing our eyes, it actually has an idea of looking, and it literally means to look, to take your eyes off anything else and look at one thing. That's what the word means. He's actually saying, quit looking at all the surrounding things and keep your focus on Jesus Christ. As we're seeking to live for Christ, we have to do that. It, it basically looking away from everything else and putting it on Jesus Christ. I've told this story before, so uh, don't think I'm, I don't know it, but I've told the story and I, but it, it's a perfect example of this. When I was coaching at the Mississippi State, I recruited a, a quarter miler, or we'd call him a 400 meter man. He was from my hometown. He was my home high school. I went back to him. I said, you are good. We want to assign you to run track at Mississippi State. And he came. And as a freshman, I mean, we could tell he was going to be pretty good. And so we went down to LSU. And and, uh, the track facility at Mississippi State in those days was not very good. LSU's track facility was out of this world. They had a big thing up, up, up on the wall, you know, outside, a big thing. And it, and it showed all the lanes and uh, the names of everybody and the times. And I mean, this thing was big time. And when e- his name was Evis. When Evis got there, he looked at that and he went, wow. I said, don't look at that. I said, you know, you got in the race, and and he was running 400 meters. And when they, you know, I told him when they shoot the gun, you're going to come all the way around, and then you've got a long straightaway. And on that final straightaway, you keep your focus right on the on the on the on the, you know, the line, and you run all the way through the tape. He went, okay. Well, they shot the gun, and he was coming around, and he was doing, he was leading by a long way. And he came around, and as he started down that long thing, he looked over and saw. All of that big stuff. And he just, all the way down, he watched that thing. And he he won the race, by the way. I'll tell you something else in a second. But he didn't do what I asked him to do. I said, you keep your focus on this. And he kept his focus on that. He he ran at the fastest time in the world that day. He ran a 44-2, 400 meters as a freshman in college about, that was about 40 years ago. So he was amazing, and it was the fastest time in the world. It didn't end up being the fastest time in the world. Somebody else ran faster than that. But anyway, he was amazing. But I said, Evis, look down there, not there, you know And when we run the Christian life, it's easy to look at all the stuff around us, and the Bible says, you've got to keep your focus where." On Jesus Christ. Keep your focus on Jesus Christ. How do we do that? Well, there's two ways. really one is the Word of God and the second one is prayer. The Word of God, we, we, we dig the scripture. We, we see Jesus in the Bible. Let me tell you a thing that I've been doing for the last years. I read over and over the Gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Now, I have other reading programs as well. but what I decided to do is I want to keep looking at Jesus. So I read Matthew, and then I read Mark, then I read Luke, then I read John, then I go back over and I start back over, and I read them continually. Now what I usually do is read two, two chapters a day. And so, you know, it takes, you know, it's 28 chapters, so it takes 14 days to read Matthew and on. But I do it over and over because I want to keep my focus on Jesus. I do. That's what, and he says, keep that focus. And so it's really good to look at his life and his ministry and what he did and how Matthew presents him as the king, which we all know, and Mark as the the servant, and Luke as man, and John as as God. And so we do that. I would encourage you, uh, read the Gospels. Uh, Besides your other Bible reading, read the Gospels and keep your focus on Christ because that's how we can see him. The second thing is by prayer, is that we talk to him. We spend time talking to him. That's how we can know them. And let me just say this, two reasons to do all this. One is you, 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 you won't be distracted. It's easy to be distracted in this world, but you won't be distracted. I think of, of Peter. Uh, if you remember the story, Peter's in the boat. Jesus walking on the water. Peter, Jesus goes by the boat, and they're all afraid. And Jesus says, don't, don't be afraid, it's me. Peter says, if it's really you, command me to come out. Jesus said, "Come out." So Peter got out, and he was walking on the water, and everything was going great. And it says that he was looking at Jesus and walking to Jesus, and then he began to look at the wind and the waves, and he began to sink. He he took his faith, he took his focus off Jesus and put it on the circumstances. We if we put our focus on Jesus Christ, the circumstances of life are not going to bother us. The second thing which is so powerful about looking at Jesus is we'll be changed. Notice 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, but we with unveiled faces, as we're looking in a mirror at the glory of God, that means he's talking about looking in the Bible, we're transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as the Lord, the Spirit. We're transformed to look more and more and to be more and more like Jesus as we look at him in the Bible. And so we need to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. So here's what he says. He says, listen, they've gone before you. The motivation is those that have gone before you. How do you do it? You lay aside anything that's slowing you down and you run with endurance. You keep your focus on Jesus Christ. Now, he's got one other thing, and I'm going to go fairly quickly through this, but why? Why do we keep our focus on Christ? Because who he is and what he has done. Who he is, this passage quickly describes what he did, uh, who he is, and then what he did. Let me just read it for you. It says, fixing eyes on Jesus and 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 here he is, he is the author and perfecter of our faith, and then here's what he did. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So who is he? Notice what he says, who is he? He is the author and perfecter of our faith. What, what does that mean? That means he's the beginning and the end of our faith. Have you thought about it? The beginning of faith is Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. The beginning of everything is we put, understood that Jesus was the savior of the world and that he would give to us eternal life and we trusted in him to give us eternal life. He's the beginning of our salvation. He's the beginning of every aspect of it. He is that, that aspect of it. In fact, that word means the author, the, the beginning of our faith. In fact, Acts says, there's no other name given under heaven among men whereby we might be saved. Except the name Jesus Christ, it all begins with Him. And when we think about salvation, in fact, the whole Bible looks to Him. The Old Testament to the, the Old Testament looks back; the the Old Testament looks forward to Him. The New Testament looks back. All of that. No other name given under heaven. And then there's the second thing. Not only is He the beginning, He's the author, but He's the perfecter, which means the end. We begin in Christ, and we're brought to maturity in Jesus Christ. Think about that. That's that's the one that brings us to maturity. Look at this, and I just want you to look at the first verse. I put two verses there, but Ephesians 4.13 says, Until we all obtain to the unity of faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. See, the beginning of our salvation is Jesus because we trust in him for eternal life. The ending of our salvation is Jesus because we're being conformed to the image of his son. He is the one that we rest in. So who is he? He is the author and perfecter of our faith. Now here's the second part. What did he do? It is so powerful. Notice this. It says, for the joy set before him. Now, listen, the joy set before him was not to go to the cross and die. That was not joyous. If you remember in the garden, he said, if possible, let this what? Pass from me. The joy was doing the will of the Father. The joy was to come and to do what the Father had for him And when the Bible says, who for the joy set before him, it was not the joy of dying on the cross, it was the joy of doing the will of the Father. And then it says, here's what he did who for the joy set before him, he did three things endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He endured the cross. He despised the shame. I'll explain that in just a second. And he is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So what did he do? He endured the cross. That means he went to the cross. Cross is not jewelry. Not for Jesus. The cross was not something you wear around your neck. It was the place of suffering. It was the place of execution. It was the place in which he was crucified. Is Isaiah fifty-three where he was wounded and bruised and crushed and pierced. It is all for us. First Peter two twenty-four. He bore in his body our sins when he was where? When he was on the cross, he endured the cross. The cross is the central thing. Everything from the Old Testament looks forward to the cross of Jesus Christ. He died. The cross is the place of sacrifice and substitution. Without the cross, we have no Savior. He endured the cross. Remember what the religious leader said? If you're the Son of God, come down. He could not come down. He was there for us. He endured the cross For us, for the joy set before him, fulfilling the will of the Father, he suffered on the cross. It goes on to say, despising the shame. The word despise means to treat as nothing. It means to look down on it. There was shame connected with the cross. You could say this, Jesus, if you go to the cross, it'll be really embarrassing. It'll be shameful. He says, I don't care. He despised the shame. He overlooked the shame. That's what it actually says. He overlooked the shame. And, and, and he treated it as nothing. Now, you know, when they took them there, they, they were treated as criminals and they took all their clothes off. And somebody could say, well, Jesus, you, you don't want to go through that, do you? And he said, I don't care. I don't care. I'm overlooking the shame connected with the cross. And then the third thing, he sat down at the, at the right hand of the throne of God. He finished the work. Remember what he said on the cross? It is finished. It's paid for. Look at this. Having offered, this is Hebrews ten twelve. He having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, made one sacrifice to pay for all sin for all time. What did he do? He sat down at the right hand of God. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It is finished. He's done it all. It is over. God is satisfied. First John 2, 2 is the satisfactory payment, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. And so we think about Jesus. He went to the cross, ignoring the shame, and completed the work. He is the Savior. He has finished the work that the Father has done, has got for him to do. He is the beginning and the end of our faith. He has finished the work that the Father had for him. As we look at this passage, there is a motivation of those who have gone before us who live for God. We can do it. If they could do it, we can do it. Well, how do we do it? We get everything out of our life that's going to slow us down, whether it's something good or something bad, and we go enduring day after day, running the race that God has for us. And we do this as we keep the focus on Jesus Christ, who is the beginning and the end of our faith, and who is the one who went to the cross overlooking the shame and is now a seat that sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So let me give you application. Let's run the race of the Christian life. The motivation is the believers that have gone before us. And there are people I've read books by Jim Elliott or about Jim Elliott and other people. And, uh, and you look at their life and you go, wow, I, I want to be like that. I want to, I want to live for God in the way they lived for God. And so we have a motivation of those who've gone before us, who've lived for, for, for the, for our Savior. The second thing is the manner. What do we do? Get anything out of your life that's slowing you down, whether it's something good or something bad. Get it out, and then every day, run with patience. Get up, do what you're supposed to do, discipline yourself, study the Bible, come to church, serve, use your gifts, talents, and abilities, touch lives for Christ day in and day out so you can hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And so this, how do we do all this? Keeping our focus on Christ. Who is he? He is the beginning and the end of our faith. We believe in him for eternal life, and we're saved and saved forever, and we grow to be like him day in and day out as we grow in the Christian life. And remember what he did. He has finished the work. He endured the cross, overlooking the shame, and has now sat down at the right hand of the throne of the Father.